Greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West here, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Program. Folks, Lieutenant Carl Allen West here at Watchtower Firearms. This is the uh, custom design uh, AR-15 that was just made for me. It's got my Steadfast and Laurel logo there. On this side, you can see my signature, my master parachutist wings, of course, American flag. And I just want to tell you that you can't be a great American unless you have a great American weapon. And that's exactly what Watchtower Firearms is building. Great American weapons all American parts manufactured right here in the great state of Texas. And oh, by the way, the, uh, let me see, where is the serial number on this one? TX1836. If you're from Texas, I think you know what that means. God bless you. God bless Washtown. Hey, Bill Center. Yes. Hey, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal program. You know, this whole thing about child gender affirming care, which I think is just gender mutilation, it just has popped up over out of nowhere in the last two or three years. And so I cannot think of anyone better to, to help us understand, to, to give, a, give us a glimpse into what this is all about than a young lady by the name of Chloe Cole. Chloe Cole is a poised and articulate 19-year-old young woman passionately advocating against the practice of transitioning minors. Driven by a noble mission to safeguard children from potentially harmful ideologies and medical intervention, and interventions. Chloe draws from her personal experiences to shed light on the distressing consequences of gender-affirming care for adolescents. Having embarked on her own transition journey at the tender age of 12, only to subsequently detransition at 16. Chloe speaks with firsthand authority on the deeply traumatic effects experienced by minors undergoing such treatments. Chloe, thank you for so much for joining us. Thank you for having me today. Let's get an understanding of, you know, what happened. Okay, so you're 12 years of age, and all of a sudden you start to have these, I don't know, ideas about, you know, being something else other than you were born. Help us to understand what happened to you at 12, and so therefore we can start to, you know, walk through this journey with you. Right, from a pretty young age, I had been on the more tomboyish side, especially as I got older. Mm -hmm. I started to reject things that were traditionally feminine, like dresses, um, the color pink, stuff that really just comes down to stereotypes, I think. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, I felt like I was different from my peers, and especially my female peers. I found them pretty difficult to, to relate to. 
And I felt just more at home amongst the boys. I really related to a lot of their interests, a lot of their sense of humor. And I felt like in a lot of ways, I just couldn't really fit in with other girls in terms of like my, my interests and even down to the way that I looked and dressed. Um, I didn't really know how to like do my hair or do makeup and I didn't really have any interest in learning either. Um, and I also hit puberty at a pretty young age. Um, I was about nine when my breasts started to develop visibly. And it was a pretty uncomfortable adjustment for me because I felt like I was losing my childhood a lot earlier than I had expected to before I even hit double digits. And people took notice of this, Um, my own family, my peers, and sometimes like my classmates or even some adults would like make comments around like my, my breasts and the other parts of my body that were developing. And a lot of what I was learning about being a woman growing up, a lot of the stuff about it that was supposedly good was very superficial, very image oriented, very focused on things like beauty and how to make yourself look good and just your looks in general. Whereas the more serious things like having to have periods every month for the rest of your life or the possibility of pregnancy or how the difficulties of of childbirth and being a mother rearing a child, I always heard about things that made those experiences fearful rather than how much of a blessing they all were. And I didn't really want to become a mother, go through the pain of childbirth, have basically having like a hole whipped in my body. The way that I was, it was described to me was like, oh, there's like a parasite developing in your mm. body. Um, and it made looking forward to growing up really scary. Well, who and I thought that because I didn't want any of, things, of these things, because yeah. I didn't feel like I was pretty enough or feminine enough, that it just didn't make sense for me to be a woman. And that I would be happier if I were born a boy. So, you know, and I remember growing up in, in, in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, and you had young girls that would want to come out there and, you know, play the basketball with us or even come out and play baseball and things of this nature. I have two daughters myself, and I wanted my daughters to be strong and confident. And so I'd go out and throw baseballs with them or throw footballs with them. And my oldest daughter is an incredible college football nut. Uh, but there was a balance in that, you know, mom, my wife would also talk to them about, you know, being a woman and things of this nature. Do you feel that you did not have the right type of positive uh, shaping of of being a woman and, and not just the pretty side, not the Barbie thing. I'm not talking about Barbie, but, you know, what it means to, to, to be a woman and femininity. Did you not have that uh, ability to have those conversations early on, maybe? Not really, no. And I mean, I never really heard anything particularly bad about being a woman from like my own mother. But growing up, seeing my sisters 
in distress around their own bodies. And I, I'm, I'm the youngest of five kids, right? Mm-hmm. I've got like a pretty significant age gap between me and my older siblings. So while I was in elementary school, they were all entering high school and they all graduated and moved out before I even hit, entered middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the, the things I would hear from even like school staff or like the the principal I was in the office at times they would talk about like their their own family life and how they preferred having how they preferred their sons over their daughters and how they're how having a girl is such a burden I heard a lot of messages like that growing up and it made me feel like just even the act of like embracing my femininity would make me a burden to the people around me so it it was really about the positive reinforcement because I think everyone has those, you know, times in their development when they're questioning, you know, who they may be or, or things of this nature or what they want to grow up to be. And so, you know, you got this atmosphere and then all of a sudden who latched on and introduced this idea about gender transitioning? I learned about it through the Internet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'd heard the, the word transgender a few times when adults were talking about it or like over the, the TV, but I mean, it, it wasn't something that I really cared about or paid any mind to until it was presented to my face through social media. And I discovered the online transgender community through communities that were focused more on my own personal interests, like like art, um, anime, TV shows, comics that I liked. A lot of the users in those communities were transgender, and I started to see more and more posts that were focused specifically on the LGBT and especially the transgender community. And I started learning about concepts like gender identity or being born the wrong body or having like a female brain and a male body and vice versa. And these people's personal testimonies of like their experiences growing up, um, struggling with bullying or not really feeling like they had much of a place or community in the world around them, even down to their interests and the way that they felt about puberty and themselves and their bodies, it was very strongly relatable for me. And even though I wasn't really directly interacting with anybody within this community at the time, I felt like there was something that was connecting me to it. And after a while, I started to question my own gender identity. I was wondering what it even felt like to, to feel like a woman, whatever that meant. And there were times when I didn't necessarily feel like I related to like my mom or my older sisters or my female classmates and it made me think a little bit deeper about these things that really weren't too out of the ordinary. Now, did you end up, you know, speaking to your parents? Did you go to some counselors? I mean, how did this now go from these these feelings, these uh, uh, presuppositions that you're having to now the next thing you know, you're talking about major surgical procedures. 
I, at first, when I decided that I would become a boy, I started to socially transition and I did this very slowly. I was in about seventh grade when I decided that I wanted to be a boy and I kind of just wanted to slowly adjust to the idea of it and get myself comfortable. Um, just like slowly cutting my hair shorter and shorter over time, introducing more boys clothing to my closet and choosing a new name for myself. And I told some friends from school, some friends online about it and one of my older sisters and most people took pretty positively to it, save for my peers from school who I told about it. They were actually pretty mean about it. They, uh, they pushed back, but it wasn't really in a loving or concerned manner. It was just like, they just thought it was funny. Yeah. They just, they pretty much just made fun of me and bullied me for it just because now, I was thinking and presenting myself differently. And I yeah. feel like in a way that sort of pushed me further into it because yeah. I mean, it felt like they were just being jerks to me for no reason. And yeah. it just made me want to prove them wrong. Now in this whole journey in, in the early parts, what type of interaction, I mean, are you sharing with your parents about this or are you having these discussions or, or what? Um, I wasn't until about probably half a year later. Um, I wanted to come out to them for some time and tell them about this because I felt like they deserved to know. And I knew that if I wanted to go through, through the motions of actually going through like a medical transition, then I would have to get them involved. And I saw an, another member of the transgender community who decided that she would come out to her parents. She would come out to her mom through a letter. And I thought that it was a pretty smart idea because I was kind of afraid to have the conversation face to face with them. I knew that even for them, it would be a little bit overwhelming to hear from your own kid. So I decided that I would write them a letter and I would leave it on the table for them to, to read. And once we were able to, once we were ready to have that conversation face to face, then we would. And once we did, they were pretty supportive. Um, they wanted to make me feel comfortable and accommodate like my preferred name and identity and such. But they're mostly pretty concerned about where this is coming from because they never heard anything like this from my own, from my older siblings. And it was a pretty novel idea for them. A girl believing that she was born in the, a girl believing that she was supposed to be born a boy and trying to take upon a new name other than the one that they had given me. They pretty much immediately saw this as being related to my mental health. And over the course of my childhood, I did have some struggles with that. Um, throughout a lot of middle and elementary school, I had been bullied by my peers. And I struggled to feel like I fit in socially. And I also had been diagnosed previously with ADHD um, for my my difficulties with my schoolwork and they thought that the best thing to do would be to get the professionals involved because they didn't really know what to do about this and at the time it was about 
2017. So there wasn't really nearly as much information on the subject then as there is now, especially in opposition to kids transitioning. And when so, they did the research online, it seemed to point to Kaiser Permanente, our healthcare provider, being the best for caring for transgender people within the state. So they went through them and got me a therapist with them. So when you get with the Kaiser Prominente therapist, uh, what was their recommendations and how did you take that next step into, like I said, doing the uh, transition surgery? They pretty much the whole way, they just took the, the route of affirming me in my feelings and desires rather than going deeper into it as to why I felt I suddenly felt like I wasn't supposed to be a girl and why I wanted to be a boy so bad. They had to do like a psychological evaluation to in order to diagnose me for gender dysphoria. They knew that I was previously diagnosed with ADHD, that it was very likely that I had autism that had gotten undiagnosed. And even that I was showing symptoms of a pretty severe body image disorder and potentially even eating disorder. But they, they paid no mind to the rest of that. Mm -hmm. The focus was pretty much entirely on my gender and my wants rather than what it was that I might have needed at the time. After I was diagnosed, I was telling them the doctors and my mom and dad, that I wanted to actually start transitioning medically, that I wanted to start on hormones so that I could look more like the other boys my age. And the therapy that I had been receiving during that time was pretty lackluster. It was just a guy sitting in a room alone with me, just listening to me talk about my hardships in school, at home, and then not really helping me through any of it. And so, of course, I was only going to get more and more distressed over time as I felt like I wasn't getting the help that I needed. And in turn, this made me more distressed about my transition. And at school, I was being bullied for the way that I was presenting myself. I was pretty much completely an outcast. I only had a few friends at the time. And I wasn't really getting any help with that. I wasn't really referred to, like any youth groups in order to, I don't know, how make me friends or being taught how to cope with the loneliness that I was experiencing at the time. So they weren't really helping me with what I actually needed. Yeah. But they had an appointment with my mom and dad. I don't believe I was there for this. I think I was out of the room for this because I don't have any recollection of this, but I've spoken about it quite a few times with my mom and dad. They told them that... Well, they, they brushed off whatever concerns my mom and dad had. And then they told them that there was no other choice. That even though I was a child, I knew exactly what I wanted. And if I wasn't affirmed in that, if I wasn't allowed to do basically whatever I wanted with my body, then I would be at risk of suicide. It was very much emotional manipulation of my parents. Mm. And it's sad because you live out in California, and I know that they have passed laws that have basically said that parents have to affirm what their children are saying as far as this gender transition, or else the parents can end up losing their, their own child. So to me— And even— it, Yeah, go ahead. 
even the doctors aren't allowed to push back on this at all because it can be con considered conversion therapy, trying to convert them out of their gender identity. So there's no opportunity. Well, no, it just comes for, down to psychotherapy. Yeah, there's no opportunity for, like you say, counseling or anything like that. It is Not either really. you do this or uh, you put your child at risk for suicide. So explain to the audience, I mean, what were the surgical uh, procedures you went through and then let's start talking about what made you start to realize maybe this is not what I really wanted. Before I ever went under the knife, um, about halfway through eighth grade, I was put on puberty blockers mm -hmm. to suppress my puberty and the production of the sex hormones in my body in order to make way for the testosterone. And I was on them alone for about a month. Um, and it was pretty terrible. I mean, I basically went into menopause at 13 years old wow. because I'd already been about four year, four or so years into puberty by this point. And at first it made about, about two weeks in, it gave me probably the heaviest and most painful period I'd ever had by that point in time, and then my menses stopped, and then came in the menopausal symptoms, um, namely hot flashes, and that was accompanied with like full body itching and tingling, and it was incredibly uncomfortable. That went on for about as long as I was on the blockers, which was about a year or so, and it also kind of like numbed me emotionally, and made me kind of lethargic, and. I really just was counting down the days to when I would finally be able to start testosterone, the next, the next intervention. And so once I started on it, I finally wasn't devoid of sex hormones anymore. I had my energy back. I wasn't lethargic anymore. I started having like a big spike in my sex drive, in my confidence, um, in having a more competitive streak. And I saw this as a big part of my journey towards becoming my true self as a boy and one day in the future a man. So naturally I was pretty excited about it. I experienced the gender euphoria that the transgender community often talks about. And the physical changes started to roll in maybe like less than a month later um, was when my voice dropped and I started having a voice more like my dad's. He has a pretty deep voice and it was pretty, it was a pretty dramatic change. Eventually started having like thicker body hair, thicker hair on the top of my head, um, thicker eyebrows. I started to develop facial hair and I started to develop more muscle. My fat redistribution was starting to change. So I started having less fat in my thighs and hips and it started distributing to more like to my midsection. And I felt like after years of being really insecure in the way that I looked, I finally had control over that. And then I looked good. I looked different. And it was a lot easier now to build muscle. And for a little while, it felt great. And I felt pretty confident. And I went into my high school years pretty much passing perfectly as a 14-year-old boy. 
and most people who I was classmates with throughout high school didn't even know that I wasn't a biological male. In my sophomore year was when I decided to go under the knife and get my breast removed. And at the time, I knew this surgery as top surgery, but really it's just a double mastectomy, which is typically used for patients who have serious risk of or have advanced breast cancer. And I was perfectly healthy at the time. Mm -hmm. They only gave it to me because I wanted it. And my reasons in getting it were that I wanted to just look more like the boys my age because even as I was starting to look more and more masculine the longer that I was on testosterone, it's not like my breasts were just going to disappear. They had already developed. And so it was kind of an awkward sight for me. And I wanted to be able to just like take my shirt off and swim or work out shirtless like the boys my age and not have to worry about having visible breasts when I'm not wearing a binder or having to bind in general. And a binder, in case you don't know, is basically yeah. a compression device for males who have gynecomastia or transitioning or cross-dressing females who wish to hide the appearance of the breasts. Yeah. And I wore one pretty much every day for a year straight. Um, on school days, it was like maybe upwards of eight hours a day because that's how long the days were. And obviously, because I was presenting myself as a guy, I didn't want anybody to know that I had breasts. And even though it fit well and it had the right size, it wasn't the most comfortable garment to wear. It was pretty tight. Um, and it was especially uncomfortable to wear while swimming or working out the way that it would just like stick to my body, especially on like hot days. I hated it and I just wanted to be rid of it, to be free of it. Yeah. And I also had an, a sexual trauma that had gone unaddressed throughout the years that I didn't really have the chance to really address. So all of a sudden things change and you begin to realize maybe this is not the path I want to be on. And this comes about a couple of years later at 16 when you start to detransition. So what brought you to that moment? What, what inspired that decision? I think the surgery was definitely a big part of it. A few months afterward, um, I started to realize that I missed quite a few things about being a woman. Simpler things like being able to have long hair or to wear makeup. I didn't really have the chance to do stuff like that because now I was presenting myself as a boy. I hardly even looked like a girl anymore. And if I did that, I would be judged pretty harshly by my peers. And acting as a male was a much bigger social responsibility than... I really knew of before and I felt like it was definitely a lot more lonely than just being a girl. But it was really hard for me to even admit to myself for the longest time that I could have been wrong. Yeah. 
I was pretty confident in my transition up until I had the surgery. And now that I had a really deep voice, deeper than most of the boys my age and even a lot of my teachers, um, and I didn't even look like a girl anymore. I had pretty strong features. I had a five o'clock shadow at the time. And I had just lost my breasts. So how could I go back? But as time went on, I, I just got worse. The feelings just kept getting worse and they kept gnawing at me in the back of my head. It wasn't until the very end of my junior year after I completed a, a course in psychology that things really started to change for me. And a lot of it, a lot of that was that I learned about like the psychology that goes into things like parenting and being a mother and how a child's mind develops from the time that they're born from toddlerhood to childhood and then eventually into their teen years. And this was all stuff that I never really thought about before because as a youngest child, you know, I never really had the chance to take care of somebody younger than me or really exercise any sort of maternal instinct. Mm -hmm. And I was also just a kid. And kids don't really think about things like what life is going to look at, look like once they're adults, whether they're going to have families, whether they're gonna, they're gonna have, gonna marry or have children of their own. And yet between the ages of 13 to 15, at a time when I wasn't really fully informed about how, not only how parenting works, but also how even my own reproductive system works, I was allowed to make a decision governing all of that. Yeah. And just learning about all of this really was a huge wake-up call for me. I realized that one day I would want to be a mother, but now, well, I wouldn't have the, the ability or even the choice to breastfeed. I would never even know what that's like. And I just learned how special an experience that is. I might not be able to have biological children because I've been put on these treatments that could have affected my fertility. And I wanted to, deep down, I really just wanted to embrace my identity as a woman, as an aspiring mother. But I had a lot of underlying issues that I then started to realize were there that I didn't get the help with that I needed. Yeah. So and now it broke my heart. I can imagine. And you know, it's sad that adults would take advantage of you in that way at such a young age instead of being adults and doing what was right by you. So in the final few minutes that we have, why are you so passionate about making sure that no other child has to experience and go down the path that you went down? What I went through, I think, really was hell on earth. And especially after the fact, the detransition might have been even harder than the initial transition. Because whereas with transitioning, I had an idea of how things would go in a pretty straight pipeline between different interventions, like starting with social transition and then coming out to my family and then going on puberty blockers and testosterone eventually getting surgery. I had a pretty good idea 
of how to go about transitioning. But with detransitioning, this was like entirely new territory for me, the people around me, even my own doctors, they didn't even know what to do with me. I had pretty much no support during this time. I lost a lot of friends because of ideological disputes yeah. and because the hormonal fluctuations or really the lack, the lack of hormones in my body after, starting, after stopping testosterone made it so that I was very incredibly emotionally dysregulated a lot of the time. And I wasn't getting any, any guidance as to how to stop hormones from my endocrinologist or any help psychologically even from my own therapist and the gender specialist who referred me to surgery. Um, and I felt like a lot of the time that gender specialist was still like trying to manipulate me to almost like stay in the mindset of being transgender. She would say things to me like, well, I mean, it's just another part of your gender journey, right? Mm. And I mean, I pretty much shot that down immediately as soon as she said that because it really just downplayed the seriousness of why, what I'd been going through. And the transgender community that once was very loving to me, the people who celebrated me going on hormones and getting my breasts removed the most were now turning their backs on me. They were cruel to me. They told me that it was all my fault, that I should have known exactly what I was doing to myself, that I looked better as a boy and that I should have stayed one, that I should stop speaking out about my experiences because it was only causing other people discomfort and that I could be scaring people out of transitioning and getting the care that they really needed, that in transitioning erroneously, I took resources away from the transgender community and I should be ashamed of myself and shut up. But after a while, I sort of had this intuitive feeling that I wasn't the only one in the situation. And I started to do research on things like detransition. And I discovered that there was a whole community online just dedicated to this experience, full of thousands of other people. And I started to interact with them. I started speaking with these people. And on one hand, Knowing that I wasn't the only one who had been through this made me feel a lot better. On the other hand, though, it also made me feel a lot worse. It was terrifying that anybody else in the world could have experienced the same exact thing, having been failed by their doctors and then abandoned by almost everybody in their life. And most of these people that I was speaking to at the time were grown adults. People who had gone through the process of transitioning as adults, came out of it as adults. But I kind of knew intuitively that there has to be another kid out there like me who has been affected by this. But they probably don't have a voice. They probably haven't even got to the point that I have of being able to accept that transition was wrong, being able to stop these treatments and then find a community afterward. And... The, the lack of care that I'd gotten from my doctors after I stopped transitioning, the way that the transgender community just treated me just for talking about the regret of it all and knowing that there are other people 
especially other kids out there like me, motiv motiv motivated me to start speaking up. And I wanted to raise awareness around the issue, around the fact that kids are in fact being transitioned, that transition regret is very possible, that these treatments are not what they're being advertised as. And I hope that I could reach out to reach my voice to the families and the kids who are being affected by this and hopefully help them through their own struggles and maybe motivate some of them to start speaking up as about this as well if they so wanted to. Well, Chloe, I want to tell you that you're a courageous young woman. Uh, you're an example for others to, to understand and to follow. I was very upset with the very dismissive way that some people treated you during the uh, congressional hearing and the testimony that you gave, because it just shows that we have adults that don't care about our children. They just care about an ideological agenda. So for those that are out there that are struggling with this issue, how can they follow you? How can they reach out to you? And how can others, people that are watching our interview, continue to support you? My two main platforms, my three main platforms actually are X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And my username in all of those is C-H-O-O-O-C-O-L-E. But you can also find me by looking up Chloe Cole. Well, we want to thank you. And again, I just pray God's blessings upon you. And continue to be the voice. And hopefully we can have you back on our program. Because this is so important that we have to protect our children uh, from this ideological menace that they're confronting uh, being sexualized for the wrong reason. And no matter, what, no matter what the world is saying, you, you made the right decision because uh, God didn't make a mistake in making you a young lady. And you're going to be a fantastic young woman and a fantastic young American. So God bless you. And thank you, Chloe Cole. Thank you so much. God be with you. All right. That's it. You did incredible. Thank you. All right. I look forward to meeting you one day. Yeah. All right, then. I'm sure it'll be one day soon. It will be. I'll make sure of that. Adios. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Chloe. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining us for this episode of the Steadfast and Loyal Program. And special thanks to Chloe Cole for taking time to be with us. She is an incredible, courageous young lady, and her message needs to be heard. we got to protect our children from this evil that is attempting to mutilate them and destroy them and take away their childhood and maybe even their adulthood. So if you like this podcast, as always, please click the like button, share it with others, and until next time, steadfast and loyal. Before they burn it down